Good morning, friends. It's great to see you. My name is Thomas. We haven't met, and it's a joy to be able to be in the house of the Lord today, to be able to sing his praises, to hear God's work as he's a living and active God in the lives of our students, uh, men and women, and then to be able to open up his word today and ask him to instruct us with it. And so we're going to continue in our study through the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, the teaching to the early church that was in the diaspora, scattered outside of Jerusalem and just so vulnerable to persecution and the things that were happening to her. And so before we begin, let me just pray for us that God would speak to us individually, that his spirit would correct us, encourage us, shape us into men and women that look just like our Savior Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come before you, and there are so many things that are happening in this room. There are those who are grieving, and there are those who are celebrating, those who are discouraged, and those who are excited. Father, those who are looking for direction, those who are looking for work, those who are looking for new contracts. Father, we just pray that you would meet each one of us individually, personally today, Lord. And then, Father, we ask that the Word of God would be our instructive instrument of how we live the days moving forward. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand how it is we live out a true and living and active faith that we have in Jesus our Lord. And so Father, we surrender this time to you. We ask that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would open our eyes and our ears to hear and see and receive all the things for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Words kill. Words bring life. They're either poison or they're fruit, says Proverbs 18. You choose how to use them. Words are bringing death, bringing life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose, says the Proverbs. That's so much more honest with us then the wisdom of the world sticks and stones. May break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like words are powerful. And they're either producing life or they're taking away life. When we use words, we are shaping our world around us. We're influencing people. We are directing ourselves, directing others. They can get us in a lot of trouble. Uh, it was amazing. I was, I was talking to Daryl, Daryl Ferguson, friend of mine. He comes here to Calvary. And Daryl and I were talking about the pains of, of being a teaching pastor, where the Lord, for his good purposes, always creates object lessons during the week on the text you're going to preach on. It doesn't matter what I'm teaching on. As soon as I open up the text and know I'm going to be preaching on it that Sunday, I know that there are object lessons coming into my world for my formational good. Because Jesus, he's committed to my formational good before he permits me to participate in any of your formational goods. And so I, did, I saw this and I thought, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be a tough week. And so I just knew I'm going, to, I'm going to bridle my tongue. I'm not going to say much this week. I'm not going to get myself in trouble. And then there was yesterday. 7.15 in the morning. So the boys are up. Kristen's up. I'm, I'm coming downstairs, and we make big breakfast on Saturday. We kinda, I love to make breakfast. She likes to make breakfast, and she's already started breakfast, and she's making pancakes. And I have a very specific order of how I like to make pancakes, and Kristen's not doing it in that order. 
I know, can you believe it? <laughs> so there she is adding some ingredients together in a different order. And I just say, 7.15 a.m., what are you doing? That's not right. And she looks at me like, excuse me? And I thought, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back upstairs and I'm going to restart the day. There's something about our words. And James is pointing this out. And, and James is pointing this out not as a new subject. It's flowing from everything he's already been saying. He's already been talking about our words. So if you have your journals, grab them. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Technology failed me this week, so we don't have the cool colors and stuff online. We just have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, so we're going to have to just suffer through. I'm just kidding. James has already talked about the powerful example our words reveal about our true religion, our state of being connected with God. This is James chapter 1, verse 19. He said, My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Like we're bad at speaking. We're not very good at using our words. So slow it down. Then when he was talking about true and pure religion, he said this in verse 26 of chapter 1. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not, does not control his mouth, does not rein in her words, well, this person's religion is worthless. It doesn't say it's not very good. It's worthless. Our words can ruin, make worthless our religion. And you just see like public Christians do this all the time. Their whole testimony to the world of who Jesus is is like undone by the words they use. And so James has already been talking about words. And then we talked last week about how our lives after professing faith in Jesus Christ should show some transformational change. And if there's not change in the way that we live, then we should probably question if we have real, authentic, genuine, saving faith. Because real faith produces real works. It's evidences that people truly believe in the Son of God. And then he starts this topic about words. As the first example of here is probably some evidence to look at if, we, if this person who claims to have faith isn't just a talker, isn't just a thinker, but is a genuine believer, well, then their words will change. How they speak will change. How they speak to others will change because you can't have an encounter with the living God and be changed and not have a change in your words. And we'll see why that's impossible. But he begins to talk about words as the very first thing after talking about faith without the works on the backside is dead. And so the evidence is looking at the words. And I love where James starts. I think this is where we should always start is with the teacher. Let's start with the teacher. And so in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that the one who will teach, or sorry, the one who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now that's not just a comment of, hey, more people are going to evaluate the speaker's message, though I'm thankful for all your evaluations all the time. This is divine judgment on what the teacher says 
about God, about what it means to be human, about what it means to be human in relationship to who God is. See, James is saying, okay, pause. For those of you in the early church that maybe wanting to use a teacher's position to elevate yourself, elevate influence or prosperity in your life. There's not many ways to do that in the first century. If you're going to try to use this as a way to elevate yourself, I just want to warn you that those who open up the Bible and say, this is what God's word says. This is what the Bible teaches. This is how we are to live in response to that. You will stand before the Lord in a stricter judgment, in a stricter evaluation, because you've stood in front of a company of people and said, thus says the Lord. See, this is the passage that's in my mind before I ever want to step up here and talk to you. That's why I want to pay attention to the formational good that God is so kind to bring about in my life before I ever get to talk to you about your formational good. It's for the teacher will be judged stricter. Now, this also might be the fact that, that, that in this first century, there are all these teachers that are dividing the church. And so, a teacher, just be warned that if you think that you can influence people and take them in a direction that does not honor the Lord, but is self-seeking, that's jealous or wanting to have your own personal gain, be warned that you will be judged in a more severe way. Now, what follows from here is not just for the teacher, because he puts all of us in the boat. Verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. There's the all piece. And if anyone, you know what anyone means? Anyone. anyone. Y'all, all right? If you're from Texas, it's y'all. Y'all, okay, does not stumble in what he or she says. He or she is a perfect person, able to bridle his whole body, control his whole body. So now this is a conversation for all of us now. Now, has anyone in here said something they immediately regretted? Today. No, it's okay. If if you haven't done it today, you're already winning, okay? Okay. There are things that I have said that as it is flowing out of my mouth, I'm just thinking, stop saying words. Stop talking. And I just can't, and I just say it, and I think, oh, this is going to hurt. Because once words are said, even if you ask for forgiveness, it's hard because they've, they've been implanted. They've been heard. They've been received, embedded in another person in some way. Now, there's those that I've said something and immediately I regret it. And then how many of you have said something and later someone has brought it to your attention that you've wounded them or hurt them? That's true for me too. People come to me and say, you've spoken into my life and, and these are things you've said two years ago and I haven't forgiven you for it yet. I won't let you know. And so it's both in the immediate and in the historical We have to be careful of how we've said words. And all of us have offended someone in some way. So none of us are the perfect person here. So what James is going to talk about is to all of us then. It's to all of us. And he begins by giving this illustration. He's going to give some really colorful, beautiful illustrations. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the first example is, okay, look at, look at the horse, a very common illustration in the first century. 
And how do you control a horse? You put a bit in its mouth. Did you see one of those Calvary pens in front of you? Maybe you can grab one of those and just hold it up. Grab that pen. That's the size of a bit, of a horse's bit. That's as part of their reins. And this goes in their mouth and it allows the rider to control the horse, to communicate with the horse and control it, to have dominion over the whole horse. If you're going to have dominion over the horse, you don't have to take a rope and put it around its neck and then take another rope and put it around its front leg and then its other leg and then its rear legs and over its midsection. And don't forget to tie the tail down and everyone kind of hold on to control this animal. They just put a bit in its mouth. My, my kids love horseback riding, probably because Randy and Ruth have let them ride their horses on their property way too many times. But they love it. And we've gone on some trail rides. And every time we go on a trail ride, I just think everyone here is going to die. Because this horse is going to do whatever it wants. And it's this 1,000-pound animal. And I'm putting my 45-pound child on top of it. And then I watch my 7-year-old control and direct this massive being with such a small instrument. And what James is saying is the tongue that you possess has that sort of powerful dominion over your whole body. It controls your whole body, like the faculties of your body. So when you start speaking and your words are just like bitterness all the time, what does that do to control your whole body? You become like a being of bitterness. What if all your words are just seasoned with, with gossip? What does that do to your whole being? You become a gossip. How about a slanderer? How about someone who's angry? Your words are always angry. Or you're always cutting someone down. Or you're someone that, that belittles other people. What does that do to your whole being? See, words are powerful. And like a small bit in a horse's mouth, these, this tongue of yours controls and has dominion over your whole being. That's what James is saying. The second illustration, he goes on and says, look at the ships. So we're talking about, now we're talking about naval things. Look at the ships also, though they are so large, they're huge, massive, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So these massive ships, you think about ships today, they all have a very small instrument on it, the rudder. And even in the storms, this, this, the strong winds that James uses is speaking about the hard storms of life. This is talking about the cruel things that are done to you. When you experience the cruelty and the hardship, the roughness of life, where do you begin to direct your life? Where's it going to end up? Where do you go? How do you know how to direct your life? What's the instrument that directs your life when people say cruel things to you or you're experiencing the rough seas of life? And James says, that's your tongue. That's your tongue. The tongue is like the rudder of your life that by the captain's will, if it's, if it's under its control, will actually guide you, direct you to navigate through the storms of life to find settled, safe Seas. And so the tongue is this powerful yet small instrument that will have dominion over your whole life and can direct your whole life, can actually produce an outcome of your life, a direction, a destiny, depending on how we use it. 
Think about that, just the rough seas that you went through this week. When your boss said this about you, how did you respond? When the email came in and said this about you, how did you respond? Or the text thread or someone posted on something or commented on something you posted. How do we respond? How do we use our words? James is saying this, this word, this tongue that we have is so powerful. It's like the proverb says. It'll kill. It can produce life. It's either poison or it's fruit. You want to choose because it's going to have dominion over your life. It's going to give direction to your life. And if you choose poorly, let me just illustrate, James says, the outcome of using your words poorly. So we continue on. James, second part of verse 5 says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire or a spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Like, where does this small spark come from? Where does this fire come from? It's from Gehenna. It's from hell itself, the place of death. That's what energizes these words. And it's like a small spark that can set something on fire. Now, we have a very vivid picture of a destructive fire in our recent history in Colorado, yes? Like just a few months ago, a small fire destroyed homes, livelihoods, radically changed the trajectory of people's lives forever. Now, a wildfire during James's day, you know, there's not like this, all this infrastructure in the city where there's a fire hydrant on every corner to even put out a fire. And so when he speaks about a wildfire, he's talking about something that's been on fire and will not go out until it burns itself out, until it's exhausting itself of its energies. No one gets to put this out. This is the power of unrestrained words in our life. Has anyone ever said something to you by the power of their words that has brought destruction to your life? Totally, right? I mean, some of the 80-year-olds in this room, I could ask this question. Are there words that still rattle around in your head that were spoken to you, of you, about you 60, 70 years ago? And I bet people would nod their head yes. There are women and men in this room that are operating based on words that were said to them 40 years ago. And for the students and kids in the room, you're thinking, you know, these words, like, they won't last long. No, they last. They're like a wildfire that does not go out. It just keeps burning. And so and it says it, what it does, it brings destruction. It's from hell itself. It brings death. Think about the things that have died in your life because of words. Like relationships just over because of words that were spoken. Like marriages have died because of words. Families have been destroyed because of words. Churches have been destroyed because of words. And these are the words that come into us and then shape us and like a fire that just burns inside of us and just doesn't go out. So just, just imagine, as a parent, you, you speak to your kids. You're, you are such a mistake. Boom! Right in their head. For, for their lifetime, probably. 
Your father and I did. We never wanted you. You're such an embarrassment. You're never going to achieve anything. These are words that coaches, teachers, and I would say the most painful ones are teachers in the church have said. I work with many young people who have been spiritually abused by church leadership in the words that have been spoken to them. That's why they're never going to be judged more severely. See, words that are unbridled cause great destruction like a wildfire. And so words in their power have dominion over our whole body. They direct our lives. They bring destruction if they're unbridled. And they're going to bring death. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So when James speaks about the tongue, he doesn't even go back to the wisdom literature to talk about how we should use the tongue. He goes back to creation order. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where he talks about, okay, man, men and women have had dominion over every wild beast. They have tamed every wild beast on the planet. They can make them jump through hoops, but they cannot tame the tongue. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 26, God... God creates man and woman and puts them in the garden. He says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And to have dominion and authority over these things doesn't mean that you pillage and plunder. It means that you cultivate and draw out its resources and beauty. And men and women are called by God, the image of God. He made them in his likeness. The image bearers of God, they're his offspring. And they've exhibited dominion control over everything except one muscle. James says the tongue. They just can't rein it in. They can't rein it in. And with it, they're just destroying things. It brings death to so many areas of our life. And then there's this disjunction. The way in which we, James says, Use it to honor God and at the same time curse our fellow human. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. This should not happen. shouldn't happen for who? For true, authentic, genuine believers. That's what he's saying. Remember? This is the faith of a genuine believer. This is the evidence of their life. We should not be blessing God on Sunday morning, come here and say, oh, praise to the Father, and then walk out these doors and scream and yell and curse at sports on the TV, at family members, at people in our family, our loved ones, the, the, the crazy drivers on the road. That should not be. There should be a continuity. You should be the same person in this room as we are on Monday morning. We should say the same words in this room 
as we do on Wednesday afternoon. Be the same person here and there. Use the same vocab here and there. And so he says this, this disjunction is actually evidence of what's going on in our life that we're probably not connected to the source of, of life. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be. I, I love that, that, that James actually gives the kingdom ethic of why we don't say things against other human beings. It's not because it's hate speech necessarily. It's not just because it's cruel. The reason, the, the, the kingdom ethic of why we don't belittle, slander, gossip, other human beings, do you see what James says? Is because that human being is made in the likeness of their creator. That every human being on the planet is the image of God. And when we slander, belittle, gossip against other human beings, we're slandering, gossiping, and belittling the creator's image. And so it's an, it's an offense against God himself. And so I don't need somebody to tell me why we don't speak this way. I don't need some organization to tell me not to speak this way because I have the kingdom ethic right here in front of me. The reason I don't speak this way against other human beings is because it's an offense against God himself. And so verse, so we'll pick it up in verse 10. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. Verse 11, does the spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? Now James is being ridiculous. It's like you, you turn on your tap, you'd be surprised if salt water came out. Like we're, they, they plug my house into something totally different. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What's, what's the point of the illustration? The tongue is simply speaking out of its source. The words you use, the words I use, flow from source. It's what Jesus said. This is why James is so connected to the teachings of Jesus. This is Luke chapter 6, maybe familiar to some in the room. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what does what the words that we use say about us? It says it's flowing from a source, from whatever is in the heart. So whatever's in the heart, the mouth starts speaking. So I can't even pretend to be a Christian because my words will betray me unless God's really done a work of the heart. This is why, go to verse 8 in James chapter 3. Verse 8 says about the tongue that no human being can tame the tongue. When you read that, you think, why even talk about these things then? That's immediate defeat. I actually can't tame the tongue. Is that what that verse says? You can never tame the tongue. Is that what it says? It says you without God can never tame your tongue. No human being can tame their tongue. For the tongue flows out of the heart. But what does God promise to do in salvation? What, is it, what does the prophet Ezekiel tell us? For I'm going to do a great work and I'm going to give them a new, what does Ezekiel say? Heart. 
I'm going to give him a new heart, a new what? A new source, right? I'm taking out a polluted source and I'm giving him a new source, the source of life. And from that source, they're going to start speaking differently. This is why James says, okay, faith without works is dead. You want to know what your works of your words are? Well, it has to flow from a new source. You can't have a corrupt heart and try to have uncorrupt talk. They go together. And so we need Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be saved. We need to be redeemed. Our heart has to be changed in order for our words to change. They can't happen apart from the work of God. And so where do we look today as the example of our words? I think you've got to work at, look at none other than Jesus himself. None other than Jesus himself. Jesus bridled his tongue perfectly. He knew exactly when to speak. And, and Jesus used passionate words, didn't he? Didn't, didn't Jesus get on some people? Absolutely. But he knew the words to use and when to use them and how to use them. So this is Passion Week, right? This is Palm Sunday. We'll remember the entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, that final week. And as he came into the final week before the crucifixion, he comes in riding on a donkey. And what are the crowds? What are the people saying? Hosanna! Like salvation from God. Hosanna! You're Hosanna! Praise be to God! And before the week is out, what are the same people shouting? Crucify him! Like curse the man! Nail him to a tree! Kill him! You see, out of our mouth, it should not be both blessings and cursings. And so Jesus came to change us, to save us, to transform us, to have a heart like his. What did Jesus say to all of that? It's like Isaiah 53, like a sheep before it shears. So he remained silent. He controlled every single word spoken. And when he did speak, what, what did Jesus say from the cross? What did Jesus say to the people that were nailing him to the cross, that were cursing him, that were mocking him, that were spitting on him, that had stripped him of his clothes and were gambling on the, on the dirt for who got to take his jacket? What did Jesus say of them in those rough, stormy times. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How is he able to give that kind of blessing to us? It's because it flowed from a perfectly pure heart. And that's what God wants to give you, a heart like his, so that you might have words like his. So what do we do with that today? Well, I think we, we need a starting point. I think the starting point is to start right where Jesus' words left off. Father, forgive them for they don't know what we're doing. And for us to start with this. We've, we've said a lot of words, haven't we? And as it's been said, the more we use the tongue, the sharper it gets. And so we need to start with, Father, thank you for forgiving us for we don't know what we've, we do because we've said a lot of things we didn't mean. And so we're so thankful that the Father gives forgiveness to us. And so I would just love to lead us in a little bit of prayer 
that we would actually ask for forgiveness for the words we misspoke even this week. Misspoke to our spouses, misspoke to our kids, that we misspoke of our parents, that we misspoke of, of people that we don't agree with because they're made in the image of God too. And I think that's the starting point is, Father, forgive us for we don't know what we, we've done. We don't know what the words we've done or what the words we've used have done. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just bring up in us, would you search us and know us, and, and then just draw up in us the work that wants to be done today? Lord, would you remind us of the words that we have misspoken? And then, Father, we just collectively ask, I just pray that you would say this in your prayer right now, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And then let him kind of lead you as to what's your next move here? Maybe there's forgiveness you need to go seek with somebody. And so you need to use some more words this week and, and go call someone and sit down with them or, or write them and say, would you forgive me for the words that I have, I have said to you? They were so harsh. Um, they were cruel. They, they belittled you. They were so angry. And let God lead you into what next to do with that in you seek, as you seek forgiveness. And then for future words, for future words, this is my encouragement to you is, is that we'd wake up in the morning and we would just say, man, there's a, there's a powerful organ in the tongue. And Lord, I just want to surrender it to you. Would you take my words today and would you control them? Would you quickly bring to remembrance um, the teachings of James before I speak? And so every day you just Surrender the words that you're going to use that day to him. And then my, my last encouragement for you is that you would look for intentional opportunities to use your words to bring life into other people, to produce life. To, when you see them doing good, to acknowledge them. Like grandparents in the room, when you see your daughters being awesome moms, You should tell them. When you, when you see your sons being good fathers, you should, you should tell them. And parents in the room, when you, when you see your children doing things that are right and good and pleasing, you, you should grab them and just, just pour words into them. Pour, pour encouragement. And for, for those who coach in the room, those who are teachers in the room, those who are managers in the room, when you see those who, who work for you, serve under you, doing the right thing, just, just pour life into them through your words. Very few people are speaking life-giving words today. Be one of them this week. And so, Father, we just surrender our tongues to you and our life to you in the days ahead. Father, may our words build up the church. May we build up our families. May we build up our communities our country, and our world through the words that we choose to use that flow from, that flow from a heart that has been transformed 
by the mercy and forgiveness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.